Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. County cricket, international cricket, test cricket, franchise cricket, red ball, white ball, hundred ball cricket. At The Cricketer, we care about the cricket you love. And that's why this December, we're launching a brand new app built for fans of the English game. Download The Cricketer app and sign up to our Access All Areas Pass to receive agenda-setting journalism and illuminating storytelling straight to your phone. The latest news from the England camps, a dedicated daily service for fans of the 18 first-class counties and committed coverage of women's cricket. Download the app today and enjoy one month for free unlimited access. The Cricketer. We care about the cricket you love. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Caribbean Cricket Podcast in partnership with the cricketer yes indeed it's 2022 our good friends at the cricketer we've teamed up for the the next few months or so because two big series are on the horizon west indies versus england in the t20s and then west indies versus england a month later in a three-match test series and we have to go in deep on this one we have to go in deep and we thought we thought if we're going to look at this T20 series and do a special uh, for the cricketer, there's only one guy we can get in. There's only one guy we know that if we said, give us everything you know on England's T20 team, and can you give us everything you know on West Indies T20 team? There's only one guy who could do that and make us completely redundant. <laughs> and and that, of course, is Aaron Viles from the County Cricket Podcast. Aaron, you're with us today. How are you doing? Well, Mash, Santoki, first things first, thank you for having me back on, gents. It's an absolute pleasure. I love talking all things cricket, you know that. Live, breathe this game every day, every week, every year. Just got a cricket addiction. 
Simple as that. And love talking about the Caribbean. It's one of my absolute favourite cricketing regions. You know, I love the CPL. I've been watching it since 2013. So, yeah, thank you very much for having me back onto the podcast. And, yeah, we've got quite a bit to discuss today, haven't we? Unfortunately, thankfully, we aren't discussing the ashes. So that makes a nice change for me as well. Oh, don't worry, we'll find a way to throw the ashes in. But people, people who are who are listening to this, of course, you're wondering, wait a minute, what about Santoki? Of course, Santoki's here. You know the partner in crime, Santoki is always here. Santoki, how you doing? Yep, yep, I'm here, guys. Freezing cold in England, but we're looking ahead to sunny Barbados. Five T20s coming up, and match. It's, it's always a big one when England come over to the West Indies. It's always something that gets excitement in the region. And as as Michelle said, pleasure to have Aaron on. Whether it's the Ashes or the Abu Dhabi T10 League, this guy is the guy in the know. He He's the guy with the knowledge. So let's kick it off, guys. So we've got five T20s. Obviously, they're starting, what, three, four days after the conclusion of the Ashes final test. England in particular are missing a lot of players. A lot of their core big hitters are not in this series for obvious reasons. Aaron, does this lessen the importance of the series? Or do you still think there's a lot to learn for England touring the West Indies for T20s? In fact, Aaron, before you answer and before you go into that, let me, let's just make sure, for those who don't know, I don't know why you wouldn't know, let's just read out the squad first things yeah. first. Uh, so, Aaron, come in and you can. I'll let you do the honours of reading out the squad and then go straight into uh, Santoki's question. No worries. So, as for the, the visual viewers, I suppose you'll be able to see it on your screen, but just for the audio listeners out there, we've got Owen Morgan, Moeen Ali, Tom Banton, Sam Billings, Liam Dawson, George Garton, Chris Jordan, Liam Livingston, Saqib Mood, Tamar Mills, David Payne from Gloucestershire. I'll discuss him in a bit more detail as we go into today's podcast. Adil Rashid, Jason Roy, Phil Saltz, Reese Topley, James Vince, and someone who's been added in as a result of Sam Billings' test debut is Yorkshire's Harry Brooks. So it's an interesting squad for England, to say the least. Obviously missing the, the big hitters, the likes of Ben Stokes, Joss Butler, to name but a couple, Johnny Bairstow as well, and of course Mark Wood in the same department, but I'll tell you what, isn't it just a, a testament to the strength in depth of English T20 cricket that you look at that team and you think they can pull it off? So personally speaking, I'm quite happy with that. There are some omissions that I do think England have overlooked per se. And again, I'll discuss those as we get further into the discussion. But Santoki, going on to your question, does this lessen the importance of this series? And it's an interesting question because when I look at T20i series, I don't put them in the same tier as a Test series or an ODI series. In particular, nowadays, where we have the Test Championship, you've got points, you've got pride at stake, basically, when it comes to these bilateral series. When it comes to T20i's, I'm not fussed if England necessarily win them. Yes, you win a trophy. Yes, you can look back on some memorable performances. But the real key thing with T20i series is the learning process. It's putting in the building blocks for the major tournaments. So, for example, later this year, we've got the 2022 T20 World Cup in Australia. And then in a couple of years' time, we come, fully enough, to the Caribbean and America for the 2024 tournament. So, for me, I don't necessarily care if England win this or lose this. It's about getting those options. England need death bowlers and we need power play wicket takers. So that'll be something I'll be keeping my eye on in this series. And also, again, just those, those depth players. You know, England at the moment have got a sensational T20 team, semi-finalists in the 2021 T20 World Cup. But I want to see the likes of a James Vince, a Phil Salt, maybe a Harry Brook, a David Payne, a Reese Topley, 
just come to the forefront. Just put in a good performance or two. Just put your name in the ring, per se, for T20 World Cup selection. So I wouldn't say that it necessarily lessens the importance of the series, but I think this is a great opportunity for England. It could have been a better one if we would have included a couple of young spinners in there. But yeah, I'm looking forward to the series. I mean, I, I just love cricket in the Caribbean. It's an amazing region. It really is. I love it, especially in winter as well, because the weather's nice. It's, it's not great here in England. I think it's four degrees at the moment here in Warwickshire. So <laughs> it does make a nice difference seeing nice weather on the TV. But yeah, looking forward to it. And it's not sound too cliche, but may the best team win. Mm. And I think the the good news is it looks like we're going to be able to have fans as well at the stadium, Kensington Oval. So the Barmy Army will be out in full force. So it'll definitely be an enjoyable atmosphere for all involved. And I think you've hit the nail on the head, Aaron. I think rather than looking at this as an isolated series, you look at it as a learning curve towards the World Cup, which is ultimately what everyone wants to win come later this year. So, Michelle, let's get into it. West Indies squad, have you got the names up? I have indeed. And Aaron, there's some, there's some already, you dropped some golden nuggets already. I'm coming back for you though, Aaron. Yeah. <laughs> I've got some stuff to say, but uh, let's, let's put uh, the West Indies team up um, as well. So the West Indies team now, you'll note for those, again, those on the visuals and watching on the graphics, you'll notice it says West Indies versus Island England. Of course, the Island T20 is now off. So in many ways, Santoki, our squad's a bit bloated because I thought mm -hmm. some players were going to be, um, told to go home after that one-off Ireland game because obviously Fabian Allen and Darren Bravo are in for the England game. So I don't really know. Maybe they'll keep that bloated squad because maybe a player might catch COVID, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But this is a squad. Um, Kyron Pollard, captain. Nicholas Puran, vice-captain. Fabian Allen, uh, returning from injury. Obviously, missed the World Cup. Darren Bravo, Roston Chase, Sheldon Cottrell returns. Um, Dominic Drakes, Shea Hope, Jason Holder, Akil Hussain, Brandon King, Carl Mayers, Rotherman Powell, Romario Shepard, Odin Smith, Hayden Walsh Jr. And there are three travelling reserves in case there is essentially a COVID outbreak, etc. Jaden Seals, Alzari Thomas, and Devon Tom uh, sorry, Alzari Joseph and Devon Thomas. And it's just worth saying before I come back to you, Santoki, much uh, much like Aaron said, re England not having some of their big names, it is, we must point out that some of West Indies' big names are missing, and we don't mean Chris Gell although he's not officially retired. Uh, <laughs> obviously, Dwayne Bravo has retired. Ravi Rampal has gone. Lendl Simmons hasn't retired, but is, is gone. But the names we're talking about um, is mini Chris Gale, Evan Lewis, um, Shimron Hetmeyer. Uh, Evan is out because of COVID. Shimron is out um, because of a failed fitness test. So there are some big names missing as well uh, for the West Indies, and that is worth pointing out. Santoki. Yeah, also Dre Ross. Dre oh, Ross, Dre Ross of course, Dre Ross, sorry. Dre Ross not featuring. Sunil Narayan, will we ever see him in West Indies colours again? We don't know, but he's he's not in this lineup. But as you said, Michelle, Evan Lewis, a big loss for the side. He's he's one of the world-class players. But again, it gives, similar to England, it gives an opportunity for the players, particularly that opener spot. We're going to see a contest to see who's going to partner Evan Lewis going forward, especially in the World Cup. And so um, building on what the performances on Pakistan, we've obviously got Brandon King, doing well and um, it's interesting to see if Shy Hope can kind of step up as open up but Mash looking at this squad that's been picked what are your what are your general thoughts obviously there's players missing what are you realistically expecting from West Indies in this series I mean Aaron said he just wants to see some uh development and looking ahead to the the 2022 World Cup we're in a different position to England um England have already got the basics 
So as much as Aaron's right to say, you know, got to see some development, uh, improve the squad depth, a couple of positions that he's looking for, they know that when the big guns come back, there's a certain level already established. West Indies, after that big flop in the World Cup, <laughs> arguably don't have any base level at all. We are literally, and I don't think it's an exaggeration. I'll be intrigued to see what you two say. I don't think it's an exaggeration to say we are literally starting again yeah. from scratch. Um, I don't think you can lose a Gale, a Bravo, Dre Russell. There's a huge question mark about him in general. Um, we we never had Narine, but you know what I mean. A Lendl Simmons. I don't think you can lose all those players at once and not basically be at square one again. Um, can we really call in that squad? Who can you really call an X factor player? A genuine X factor. England of loads. When I look at that squad, and when I say X factor, by the way, I want to say consistent X factor as opposed to um, potential, high potential X factor. So, of course, Nicholas Puran, high potential X factor. But Kyron Pollard, consistent X factor, if you see what I mean, or proven all over the world type X factor. And I know people wanted the golden oldies to go and our golden generation to go, but I just wonder how big that... Like, you and I have spoken about this before, Santoki. We had a generational team. Literally a generational team in this format of the game. And it's almost as if in this last year, we've spoken about, not we, obviously we haven't, but in the Caribbean, we've spoken about them as if they didn't do amazing things. Uh, and now I think we're about to get a bit of a reality check. But what do I want us to do? Oh, sorry, what do I want to see? Aaron said death bowling and pay, uh, power play bowling for West Indies. I've got loads of things. <laughs> I've got an opener. Death bowling, power play bowling, middle over bowling, <laughs> middle over batting. <laughs> I've got rotation of strike. Who are the six hitters now? All the six hitters are out. We're literally, is it, okay, I'm coming back to you two. Isn't it, is it an exaggeration to say we are literally rebuilding a T20 team, Santoki? Yeah, I think you've hit the nail on the head. It's a gold. We've said it's a golden generation. I mean, you could compare it to the Clive Lloyd Test era. It's, we've had a generation of players who have defined the T20 format and they've all sort of left within a short period of time. Unluckily for us, usually when you're rebuilding a squad, you've got about a minimum of two years before the next World Cup in that format. We've got one in the next 10 months. So we've got to rebuild, but also prepare these players for a tournament in the next few months, which is going to be a hard balancing act. We're going to get a lot of inexperienced guys who we're expecting to step up within a short time frame, which is going to be tricky. And as you said, Michelle, for me, one of the main concerns is the death bowling. Obviously, we've got Jaden Seals and Joseph in and in the reserves. For me, they would be the strike bowlers I'd like to see in the squad. It mm. seems like we've essentially padded it with all-rounders. So we backed our batting and we've essentially filled it with all-rounders. But Aaron, bringing you in as a neutral, looking at this squad, who are sort of two or three players who you who catch your eye or who you think are going to make stand out in this series? Well, I will say that I also do have quite a, a pertinent question for you two, which I'll, yeah. I'll flick back in due course. But for me, Fabian Allen, I mentioned him on the 2020 CPL preview shows. I love this guy. He is the very definition of a three-dimensional cricketer. He offers you that left arm offspin option. He's a powerful hitter and the fielding. Fabian Allen is one of the most electrifying fielders on planet Earth right now. So for me, I can't wait to see him back in action. I still remember that catch against Afghanistan. 
in the 2019 World Cup. So cannot wait to see him back in the fold. And for me, as a as a massive fan of the Caribbean Premier League, one man in particular, Dominic Drakes. He was just the, you know, the the real star boy, I suppose. In 2021, he's had this meteoric rise. He's gone on, been a, a CSK net bowler as well in the IPL. I'll be really interested to see how he develops heading into the next few years. So he's another one who really stands out to me. And an interesting stats, I suppose, the first of my interesting stats for today about the Kensington Oval as a venue. Since 2012, it's been excellent for leg spin. So leg spinners average around about 18 with the ball with a shrewd economy rate of 5.10 runs per over. There's a leg spinner in there by the name of Hayden Walsh Jr., who at times has been inconsistent, but this venue could well suit him. So for me, he plays for the Barbados Tridents as well, or the Barbados Royals, as they're known in the CPL. So for me, Hayden Walsh again, this is a big series for him. In terms of that question that I alluded to beforehand, we mentioned about the 2022 T20 World Cup. It's going to be in Australia. And as you two have alluded to, the West Indies at the moment, very much in a rebuild, almost a factory reset because you've mm. lost out on that golden generation. Are you willing to sacrifice a short-term success in 2022 by keeping more of an eye on 2024? That'd be my question. Would you go with a more inexperienced team heading into this year's World Cup in Australia with the hopes and the dreams of those guys then going on to make it and become better players ahead of your home tournament in 2024? Or are you happy to almost have this hybrid team try your best in 2022 and then wait for those extra two years ahead of the tournament in the Caribbean? What are your thoughts on that with regards to the men in Maroon? I'll I'll take this one first, Santelki, just because, good question, by the way, Aaron, love that. Um, my short answer is yes, Be, but but not just because I agree with you, but also because we, I don't think we've got any, don't we've got any other choice. However, and Santelki, I'm sure you're going to come in at this point, as much as, don't take me in Santelki to be the normal, rational Caribbean <laughs> fan, <laughs> because... As much as we could go to you, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, you know, whatever happens in 2022, it is what it is. If this team goes to Australia, I don't know, and maybe scrapes through the qualification and loses all their matches in Australia, the cuss out back home will be as if the team wasn't young and it wasn't a learning experience and so on and so forth. So I agree with you only if West Indies can control the kind of narrative of well, you know, this is kind of a learning experience for this squad. It's come around too soon. Let's keep an eye to when we've got our home tournament in 20. Yeah, if you can control the narrative and message out around that, by all means. But I, the, 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 the Caribbean cricket landscape is a very unforgiving landscape. We've, we've just finished cussing out all of our golden generation. <laughs> so I, I don't know. I, I don't know how forgiving people would be if we treated 2022 as a, almost like a developmental World Cup, Santoki. No, literally, you took the words out of my mouth there, Marshall. I was going to say, um, obviously, Rationale would say, yeah, prepare for the 2024 World Cup in the West Indies. Ricky Scaver would put a statement out, maybe saying that as the overall sort of target. But knowing the cuss-out culture, so the criticism from the region, which is unrelenting, um, no one in West Indies cricket is going to say that because they don't want to lose their jobs. So essentially, <laughs> essentially, we're going to have to kind of, yeah, like like Mashed, we're going to have a hybrid of 
put in a team that has enough experience to attempt to try and win in Australia with also some young blood in there. But we're not going to essentially sacrifice the tournament with a longer-term vision just because fans in the West Indies are unforgiving and it, it wouldn't it wouldn't go down well for administrators or the coach Phil Simmons. So I think they're in a tricky place and that's why they haven't put out any communication about the 2024 World Cup being a, being a greater objective. So I think they're going to try and push to... Give fans give fans a realistic um, belief that we can lift the trophy in Australia. Whereas me and Michelle know really it's it's going to be a tough struggle for the side um, in its current state to perform, even get to the semi finals probably in Australia later this year. I'm going to just put something on um, on the visuals for Aaron to look at, and I want you and Santelki, so Aaron and Santelki to um, then I'm going to throw you both a question with this visual, right? So before recording, I wrote down a possible team out of this 16, right? Mm -hmm. So for those listening, I'm just going to read it out. Uh, King and Hope, obviously, but I've put in brackets Evan Lewis because he would normally be there. So King and Hope, Puran at three, Chase or Bravo at four, because in the Caribbean, we're besotted with this idea of an anchor role. So that's question one for both of you two, this idea of an anchor and do we need it? But bear in mind, Chase's offspin probably gets him into the team anyway. Uh, Pollard at five, Holder at six. That's my second question. What do we do with Jason Holder in this T20 side? Dre Russ isn't there, so does Holder now have to come into the top six? Um, Allen at seven. And the reason I've got Allen at seven is because he can't bat lower than that. You you lose out. this. And sorry for not, Fabian, if you watch this or hear this, I'm so sorry for not mentioning your name when I said X-Factor players. You, of course, Fabian, are an X-Factor player. Fabian at seven. Fabian has to come in early. Not early, but if he's playing a finisher role, he can't come in at eight. He's got to be seven at least, right? But then if Fabian's at seven, I think he can only play one of Oldine or Romario, but surely they're looking at playing both of them. And this goes back to your point, Santoki, about the team's got too many all-rounders in it. Um, Akil is a... That's a lock. Um, Akil's nine... Now this is where Aaron's point came in because I had the exact same thinking as Aaron. Leg spinner, Walsh Jr. for me has to play. Again, Barbados Royals, he's used to the ground. Walsh Jr. and then Sheldon at 11. There's a huge question mark about Sheldon. But the reason I've got Sheldon at 11 because we have a similar issue that um, Aaron was talking about for England, power play. The one thing you can guarantee from Sheldon Cottrell, generally speaking, is swinging ball, power play, at least one wicket. And Santoki, that was something we were lacking massively um, at the World Cup, any power play wickets. So that's just a rough team to work off with a few issues that I've got in there. Like I say, Chase and Bravo and an anchor role. Holder, what do we do with him? What's his exact role in this side? How do we fit Oldie and Romario, Romario both in the team? Uh, Santoki, you first, any thoughts? Yeah, so let me start with the top of the order. There's a lot, a lot to address on um, with, with the squad, with this squad at the moment. So for me, I'd like to see Carl Mayers get a go as opener. Um, we've got five T20s in the West Indies. Um, Carl Mayers, he performed quite well in the CPL when opening. Um, Hope hasn't really stepped up for me, so I'd, I'd, I'd give Hope obviously as the incumbent um, opener at the moment with with Lewis gone. Give him the first two T20s, then I'd like to see Mayers get a go just to see if Mayers can. We know Mayers has the ability to accelerate, which Hope can't do in T20 format. So I'd like to see how the dynamic between King and Mayers is open. So that would be the first thing. Um, looking further, yeah, the anchor role. I'm going to bring Aaron in on this because me and Michelle have talked for episodes and episodes about the anchor role. Aaron, what, are you, what is your opinion on this sort of quote-unquote anchor role needed in T20 sides? Do you think 
it is it is a role needed in T20 sides, or is it something which should be confined to the longer formats only? It's an interesting question because you're talking to someone who is a very strong advocate of Dawid Milan's place in the England T20i side. Mm. I, I think the, the issue when we talk about the anchor role nowadays is that, in particular for older fans, and even for me as someone who's been watching T20 cricket ever since the IPL's inception in 2008, we almost have this antiquated view of what an anchor is in T20 cricket. It used to be a strike rate of around about 100 to 110. Nowadays, that's not going to cut it. It's not good enough in the modern game. It's far too fast-paced. You need to be 120, 130 plus at times in order to be a modern anchor. Now, I personally, given the, the current setup of this West Indian T20i outfit, I quite like Roston Chase being in there purely because, let's say you do go all guns blazing at the top and it goes horribly wrong, he can provide some stability just like Dawid Milan can do for England. And Mashal, you mentioned it beforehand, the good thing about Chase, he's not just a specialist batsman. He's not just in there for his batting, he offers you another bowling option. So for me personally, I would go with Roston Chase. And may I just say, Santoki, I really like that option of Carmeyer's opening, because it's a different opening combination as well. I think with Carmeyer's, it does suit him towards the top of the order. I don't see him as a quote-unquote finisher, And again, let's say that the West Indies do need an extra bowling option, given this series they've got enough all-rounders to fill an 11. Maybe they don't need him for his bowling. But again, if we're looking long-term, that is something that Carmeyers can do as well. He was a breakthrough specialist in the CPL. So I would personally, if this was up to me, I would go with King. He opens pretty much for the entire series for me. I would rotate between Hope and Lewis just to see how the dynamic changes. Do you mean Hope and Mayer? Remember, Lewis won't be there. Sorry, not Lewis, Mayers. It's because it's on the screen. You're right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that completely threw me then. But yeah, Puran at three and then Ross and Chase at four. That's how I'd go about it. And if we could just talk a second about Jason Holder. Yes, because... massive. <laughs> but be careful because I, I always get in a lot of trouble with that. Start. <laughs> go, on, go on, Aaron. I look at Jason Holder in the T20i format as a bowling all-rounder slash almost a specialist bowler now. I'm not Mm. sure that his batting in 2022 is strong enough to put him at number six. I would put him lower than Fabian Allen. And that is my just personal opinion. Feel free to disagree with that, anyone out there. But for me personally, Jason Holder is one of the best regional bowlers in the Caribbean right now. In the T20 format, he's had a fantastic IPL. He does provide those breakthroughs. I still remember his his spell against Virat Kohli in the 2020 Eliminator to break my heart as an RCB fan. I think he's a viable option. But is he an out-and-out replacement for Andre Russell? I don't think so. And that's just my two cents on the whole Jason Holder, West Indies situation. Do you know what... In fact, Santoki, what's your view? Yeah, no, I completely agree. I don't think Jason Holder's batting... As much as he's he's a popular player and a lot of people want to see him in the side, as um, Aaron hit it on nail on the head there, he's no replacement for Dre Russ. And Dre Russ is sort of the benchmark for the standard you need as a finisher at international level. I don't think Holder's someone who you can take for the World Cup as your finisher. You're not going to get the results. With the ball, you can keep him in as a specialist bowler, but then he's not batting at six. You don't have him batting at six or that high up. So for me, they need to be have more clarity. Similar to ODIs, Odin Smith, Romario Shepard, basing it on the T20s I've seen them in and the recent ODIs against Ireland, I would say Odin Smith edges it at the moment. Um, in terms of his batting, has he's been able to 
really, really hit, hit long, hit hard, accelerate. And I think Romario Shepard is sort of, he's not been poor, but he's sort of been average at the moment in the games I've seen him. So if it's a shootout between those two, I'd go with Odie and Smith as well. He's got pace with the ball as well, which looking towards Australia longer term, he's going to be more valuable, I think, on Australian pitches. So for me, Odie and Smith edges it right there. And as you've both echoed as well, Walsh Jr., Kenza and Oval. It's sort of like a it's sort of a redemption series for Hayden Walsh. He really needs to perform in this series to sort of keep his um place in on West Indies radar because you feel he's in last chance saloon at the moment. So for me, no objections with that. And Sheldon Cottrell, as you said, Mash, I don't really know what's happened with him. I mean, it wasn't long ago he had a million pound deal with the Punjab Kings in IPL. He was sort of a elite strike bowler he's sort of fallen way off yeah. and I'm not sure whether he, he can recover it we sort of picked him because we don't have any other options at the moment in the death death bowling department but with Jaden Seal sort of lurking around you imagine Sheldon Cottrell unless he can sort of perform relatively soon he, he's going to take a drop as well from the side yeah and one name we didn't mention actually and this comes off the back of what um Aaron was saying with Jason in the absence of Dre Russ, there's one name on that list who's possibly saying, "Well, put me in then, Rovman Powell." Now, don't I'm not I'm not. That's no no Jamaican bias. That's not Jamaican bias. I'm just I'm just saying if we're looking at the list and you were trying to find a like for like batting replacement, obviously not with the ball. Yeah. But then that even in itself then poses questions because even if you put Rovman in. Where does Jason then go? And then what are you doing with Odin and Romario? So there's, it's not as easy with the West Indies squad to get an 11 that's appropriately balanced. And even if you do, an 11 that addresses the issues coming out um, of, of the World Cup. Um, so that, I mean, I mean, it kind of neatly comes back um, round in a circle to our initial point, which is that this is, a, I, th- I like the word, um, phrase that um, Aaron used, this is a factory reset of sorts. Yeah. Uh, Lewis and Hetmeyer... Uh, not being there, not sorry, Lewis and Hetmeyer's um, absence, uh, notwithstanding. Um, I mean, Santoki, a lot could be solved if they could convince Narayan to come out of retirement, you know, <laughs> sorry, self-imposed, self-imposed retirement. Um, but Santoki, you've always said that you think he's done. You you don't think we'll ever see him again in Western East Colours. Yeah, I mean, DJ Bravo recently said on an interview in uh, in the Caribbean that they essentially pleaded with Narayan to come out for the World Cup, come out of uh, come out of his hiatus, and that sort of contradicts anyway the reports that he failed the fitness test. But that's that's a whole other issue. But um, they pleaded for him to come back in the side. He said no. For me, if Narayan is choosing not to come to a World Cup, which is the pinnacle of the format, I don't think we'll see him in bilaterals by any means. And it wouldn't make sense for him to skip a World Cup in the UAE which is more conducive to his skill set and then suddenly choose to fly to Australia and take part in that. So for me, unfortunately, I think we've seen the last of Sunil Narayan in Maroon. We, 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 we cannot, however, as we, I mean, you leave it up to me in Santoki, we'll, we'll talk about the woes of West Indies cricket for at least another two hours. But, um, <laughs> but we, we must look at the other side of the coin in England and I'm going to bait Aaron now uh, and I'm going to bait any... Uh, England fan who's listening to this. Uh, <laughs> Santoki, you answer it first and then to give Aaron time to compose himself when I say it. <laughs> so, who had the worst World Cup? I think England. <laughs> because hear me out. Hear me out. England have spent the last... You decide how many years focusing exclusively on white ball cricket, right? 
They went into that World Cup as hot favourites alongside India. We went in as like nostalgic favourites because we, we created the format. And obviously Santoki and I said we'd win the World Cup. Big flop. But a lot of people prior to that World Cup were saying West Indies weren't going to perform well. So, yes, we underperformed, but it wasn't like people weren't saying that we were going to underperform. Nobody was saying that England weren't going to reach the final. Everyone had England as reaching the final in that World Cup minimum. I can accept losing the final because it's what happens on the day. Was it an underachievement for England to go out in the semis? Santoki takes that. <laughs> you know what it is? You know what it is, Mash? I think it's like the old saying goes, it's the hope that kills you because West Indies, we got bowled out for 55 in the first game. After that, realistically, you're not going to win the World Cup having bowled out 55 in the first match. So we had time to kind of process it. We saw West Indies poor perform atrociously throughout the games. It is what it is. You process it at that point. England as you said, were excellent throughout the group stages. They got to the semi-finals, probably for what, of that game, 35 overs, they were in control. It was up until, what, the 15th, 16th over of New Zealand's chase. Then it all sort of fell apart to Jimmy Neesham and was it Daryl Mitchell? Yeah. Um, so for me, coming so close, England, to, to glory and then failing, especially in T20, it's unrelenting. The space of two overs, they essentially, the whole World Cup chances blew. That's got to hurt more. Whereas me and you, Mash, we had time to to kind of witness the group stages, process it all, kind of reflect on it, and, and we were at peace with it. We were at peace with West Indies. <laughs> England, Aaron, I know I know. up until that 15th over of New Zealand chase, Aaron was dreaming of Owen Morgan lifting the World Cup. He had belief. It was taken away from him with some boundaries. They tried to blame Chris Jordan as, as the scapegoat in the side. It all fell apart. The team morale fell apart. Everything happened. And you feel that it was a team as well that were at their peak. All the players were at peak age, peak performances. So that's got to hurt. And um, there's a lot <laughs> riding on. There's a lot riding on England this year. There's going to be a lot of pressure. Owen Morgan's essentially going to retire after this World Cup in Australia. So this is his swan song. So, boy, Aaron, what are your thoughts on England? It's a lot to unpack, gents. I mean, it's a pretty easy question, eh? But uh, first and foremost, yeah, for that World Cup, <laughs> this just goes to show how well my predictions have gone recently. I went West Indies, England as a final, and uh, neither of them made it, and, and Australia went on winning, and now I've won the Ashes as well. So I've had some great times predicting recently, but I think if anything, that just sums up the T20 World Cup. It's not like the Test Championship. It's not like the 50 over World Cup, where rankings really do determine how a team might perform. In a tournament, if you look back, even to 2016, England, we were on our way, but who would have put us in the final? Let's be honest. I mean, I would have gone India personally. I would have gone West Indies, India in the final. And England somehow beat New Zealand, reached the final. And I'm not going to talk about how that ended because that still lives with me six years on with regards to Carlos Brathwaite. Now, now our captain at Warwickshire as well in the T20 Blast. So at least he's, he's made up for it in a little bit there. But when it comes to the T20 World Cup, I think it's safe to say that both sides honestly underperformed. I think that the West Indies, I understand the issues, the problems. Yes, after that 55 all out, it was very much a, a losing battle for the men in the room. But they should have done better in that group. Let's be completely honest. England were by far and away the favourites. And then it was a three-horse race between Australia, between South Africa and the West Indies. And the West Indies, in theory, could easily have had that second place if not for that implosion in Dubai. So the West Indies definitely underperformed. 
I wouldn't say England underperformed as much because we did make the semis. That is an achievement. I know that we're the number one ranked side. I know that a lot of people, myself included, expected more from England. But it just goes to show the fine margins of T20 cricket. We were on top for 15 overs. And then Daryl Mitchell unleashes beast mode. And all of a sudden, England are staring down the barrel of defeat. We're losing the semis. New Zealand go on to reach the final. So England did underperform, yes, not to the same extent, lads. I'm sorry, I can't agree with that at all. I don't think many England fans would either, but I think heading into 2022, I expect England to be in the mix yet again. And a person who I think is really going to perform, someone who struggled in the UAE, is Dowd Milan. He's not great against spin. As soon as you give him some pace on the ball, completely different player. So we'll have to wait and see. I think it's going to be an interesting tournament, but... Yeah, England, I do fancy their chances heading down under later this year. Also, I think I think we're doing a disservice likely to England because they did have uh, Tamar Mills was ruled out um, of the World Cup during during the group stages. How important, you mentioned obviously their weakness in the death bowling department and power play bowling. How important is Mills going to be and him staying fit? Massive. He's the best death bowler in England. I've said that for years. He has absolutely crushed it for Sussex. I remember him in 2018, this was. He won a game against Glamorgan, taking a hat-trick in the final over. He's that kind of bowler. He produces when you need him to the most. He had an excellent tournament in the 100 as well for the Southern Brave. I think that's what they're called. Sorry, I'm, I'm not really au fait with 100. I was, I was covering the 50-over tournament. But again, Tamar Mills, in my opinion, is the best death bowler in England. The key, however, is Chris Jordan. Now, if I just give you some stats about CJ, and CJ is a legend when it comes to England T20I cricket, our all-time leading wicket-taker in the format, 79 wickets. He really has been phenomenal over the years. But since the start of 2020, he's appeared in 28 matches. He's taken 25 wickets at 32.56 and has an 8.53 economy rate. Now, that is incomparable compared to a Tamar Tamar Mills, compared to even a Mark Wood, this is a massive series for Chris Jordan to silence the critics because he had a poor World Cup. Considering the amount of experience that he has, considering the amount of skill, the talent, the calibre that we know he can produce in these big occasions, we just didn't see it in the UAE. So now we go into Barbados, you're against the West Indies, and albeit weaker West Indies compared to previous teams that we faced in the Caribbean, This is a massive series for him because if he doesn't perform, England have got other options, one of which is Saqib Mahmood. Saqib Mahmood is a fantastic bowler from Lancashire, originally born actually in my area in Birmingham, moved up, played for the Lancashire Academy, has absolutely killed it for years in the T20 Blast, has just come off the back of a really good big bash as well. He took something like 13 wickets in six games for the Sydney Thunder. So this is huge for Chris Jordan, absolutely massive. And as long as Tamar Mills can deliver, if England get that second death bowler, again, I fancy our chances. It's as simple as that. You talk about Chris Jordan, and of course, um, there is another um, um, West Indian in the team as well, in Phil Salt. It's this Phil Salt. (laughs) (laughs) I knew that was coming up. No, but on a a serious note, um, what do you make of Phil Salt, though? Um, Because we've seen him in CPL um, as well. is he somebody who you think can force himself into the reckoning? Yes, absolutely. He's just made the move from Sussex up to Lancashire. That'll be interesting in the T20 Blast, him and Livingston opening. 
for the Lancashire Lightning. So for me, Phil Salt, the man that we call the Bottle with Dan Bradburn on the podcast. He was born in Wales. Yes, I know he grew up in Barbados. And you mentioned the CPL mash. If you remember <laughs> 2019, that final, one of the <laughs> funniest debuts in cricketing history. He was an emergency replacement. He's flown in for the final. <laughs> And he gets out for a three-ball duck. I think he takes one catch and Barbados win the CPL. It was absolutely insane. I still don't think he was out either. I think he copped a rough decision. It was a short ball. There was a little noise. I don't think it came from his bat, Percy speaking. But since then, he has just gone from strength to strength to strength. This season, in the T20 Blast, he scored 302 runs for Sussex. Their second leading run scorer behind Luke Wright a winner with England in 2010 in the ICC T20 World Cup. And just looking at his strike rate, 147.3. That is a blistering strike rate for an opening batsman. So for me, when you take that into consideration, he's in good form in England's domestic tournaments. He has got CPL experience. He's played in the Big Bash for Adelaide. He's played in the Lanka Premier League recently and done quite well. For me, Phil Saw is a massive, massive cog if England are to be successful in this series, if him and Jason Roy get going early on, that could well turn the the tide of a few games in the three lines' favour. Mm. One more, one more batsman. Actually, I want to talk about is uh, with another excellent strike rate, Tom Banton. So he hasn't played for England in over a year now. He's got one forty eight career strike rate in T twenties. Is he someone who can force his way into the reckoning? And do you see him getting a place in this side long term? Or long term, maybe. 2022, no. I've just got to be completely honest. And I like Tom Banton, actually was formerly of the Warwickshire Academy, so obviously a little bit of bias there. Has been fantastic for Somerset, but 2021, he didn't have a great year. If I'm being completely honest, he had a blistering, I think it was 107 outs against Kent in Canterbury. And aside from that, just did not perform. To be honest, he was he was down the rankings in terms of Somerset's run scorers, was very inconsistent. And again, I talk about the Lanka Premier League with Phil Salt. It was almost the opposite for Tom Banson. He scored 109 runs in eight matches with a really low average and a low strike rate. He absolutely struggled. So for me, I don't see him as an immediate option. I think that Phil Salt is the better option for England heading into the near future. But this series could be big for him. If England do take that perspective of we are building for the future, we could maybe see a Jason Roy replaced with Tom Banton just to give him some time out in the middle. Maybe he could be an option for 2024. Who knows? With England, we've got plenty of options up the top. So I don't think he's going to be a key player in this series, but would I want to see him at some point? Absolutely. I just want to jump in as well. Just one question from me, um, Aaron. Um, and we spoke off air before we started recording. There's There's some players who aren't in this squad. Um, now I know who you're going to talk about, but I actually want to throw one name at you because we had this, uh, uh, gentleman on our podcast last year, uh, Daniel Bell Drummond. Now I'm not saying he should be in this squad, but Daniel has put together some really good, and he's another one who is getting selected in, I think it was in the Abu Dhabi T10 recently, etc. He's another one who's starting to get like those kind of deals in some of the lower tier, um, white ball tournaments. He's smashed it for Kent in recent years, but can't get anywhere close to an England T20 side. Now, if he can't even get in this squad where some of the big names aren't there, 
Does he now need to come and play for the West Indies? That's, 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 I knew that was coming. But then also question two, who is missing from this squad where you're like, hold on a minute, that England could have been a bit more brave with some of their selections? Well, let's start with Deeps because I completely echo that sentiment. I think it's taken far too long for franchise tournaments to recognise the skill of the man. He's a fantastic opening batsman. He's very classy. He's very elegant. I always say that he has some panache and style. He's a very aesthetically pleasing batsman in the shortest format. So I rate Deeps incredibly highly. And another thing that he offers is leadership. He's been fantastic for Kent's in a captaincy role as well. Not so much in T20, that's Sam Billings' role, but I'm on about in the longer format. So that is something which also goes in his favour. The issue, however, is that with England, it's the one area that we have an absolute embarrassment of riches in. Opening batsmen, we have got so, so many. Another one is James Vince. He'll probably be playing at number three in this series. Alex Hales, I don't think we're going to see him again in an England shirt, but he would be another one. Sam Curran can pinch hits. Moen Alley opens the batting for Worcestershire. There are so many different options. I just don't think that Daniel Bell Drummond is necessarily outcompeting them. And that is just my honest opinion. I think he's a great player. I hope he plays a lot more franchise cricket. Whether he makes that switch to the West Indies, that's up to him. Look, if, if he wants to play international cricket, absolutely go for it. I would not be against him at all. I wish him the best. I don't think at the moment he's he's looking he's he's what England are looking for, considering that we have a lot of young, enterprising, hard-hitting openers at the top of the order. And then when it comes on to other emissions, <laughs> there is an obvious one, and I know that Lancashire Faithful will be agreeing with me on this one. Matt Parkinson. I don't know what he has to do to get into an England squad, but for some reason he's not in this one either. And I talk about keeping an eye on 2024. If we kept an eye on the future, you're thinking that this could well be one of the venues in that tournament that England play at. It's conducive to leg spin. There are other areas in the region which are perfect for leg spinners. Guyana, for example, is another one. Why is Matt Parkinson not playing? I know that he hasn't had the greatest T20i record. I think his career economy rate is 9.5, something like that. For the age of 25, he's taken 103 career T20 wickets with a 7.51 economy rate. They are incredible stats for a young leg spinner. And even if you 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 know discard stats, you think they're not important. Have you ever seen the guy bowl? This summer at Edgebaston, he bowled a delivery to Imam Al-Haq, which spun 12.1 degrees. 12.1 degrees. It's the most turn ever by an English spinner at Edgebaston. I think it might have been even in the country. It was that incredible of delivery. So he should have been in there. Absolutely. I don't know why England are so tentative when it comes to trying out new spin options. Another one is Jake Lintop. And I'm well aware as a Warwickshire fan, I might be a bit biased, but he's got CPL experience for the Barbados Royals. His economy rate as well is about 6.1 since the start of 2020. And I think back to the West Indies South Africa series, and someone who the West Indies struggled against was Tabray Shamsi, as a lot of people in T20i cricket have done recently. He's a left-arm wrist spinner. That's exactly what Jake Lintop provides, albeit not as aggressive, albeit not as experienced, but it's just something different. If you look at this England squad, and I'll, I'll just list off some of the names now, Tamar Mills, George Garton, you've got David Payne, you've got Reese Topley as well. 
That's four left-arm seam bowlers. And yet we haven't got a backup wrist spinner for Adil Rashid. If he gets injured, and let's say that, obviously I don't want him to, to be forced into an early retirement, but if that you know scenario was to play out, England are in a lot of trouble. That's 74 T20i wickets gone right there. He's an irreplaceable spin bowler, one of the best on the planet, and we aren't giving our young spinners a go. So for me, I think that's just an oversight, which I'm very, very disappointed about from an England perspective. And then just one final omission as well. It's an interesting one. I'm not sure many people will have heard of him, but Benny Howell. Now, for those who who watch franchise cricket, Benny Howell is a man who, he's 32 years of age. Is he in the big bash at the moment? Am I making that up in my head? He yeah, was, right, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's played for Melbourne, uh, the Melbourne Renegades in the big bash. He's played in the Bangladesh Premier League. He's played all over the world. This is a guy who specialises in knuckleballs, slower balls, off-cutters, and changes in pace, which are ideal for Caribbean wickets. So I'm just thinking, if England are trying to look for something different, those power play and middle-over wickets, he could have been an interesting option, albeit a, a left-field one. I admit that. But when England are looking for different options, I just feel like at the moment, even with this squad, we have been a little bit conservative. And that's something I want to see England maybe change their, their outlook at heading into the future. So we we looked at a potential starting 11. So first game, 22nd of uh, January. If you had to pick, let me put the squad back up. If you had to pick your, I know I'm kind of putting you on the spot here. My apologies. But if you had to pick your 11 now, who are you going for? Good question, Marshall. To be honest, I've been thinking about this and I think a lot of the players do choose themselves. So for me, I'd go with Jason Roy and Phil Saw opening in the first one. I think those two will work well together. I've gone James Vince at three. Again, offers stability, also has a good career strike rate. Number four, this is where it gets interesting, Moeen Ali. Uh, Moeen Ali, because he's a great hitter of spin bowling. If he comes in into the middle overs, and let's say Hayden Walsh isn't bowling great, obviously I want him to do well, but let's say he does offer a couple of looseners, Moeen Ali will dispatch him. He's got a 170 plus strike rate against spin bowling in the middle overs. So for that reason, I've got Moeen at four. Liam Livingston at five, a man with a 177 T20i strike rate in 2021. I've got Owen Morgan at six. This is where it gets interesting because I'm not sure whether or not Sam Billings will be available for the first game. So if Sam Billings isn't available, that would mean Phil Salt gets the gloves. So he would be my wicketkeeper and Harry Brook would come in to consolidate the middle order, the young Yorkshire batsman. At number eight, I've gone Chris Jordan. As I said, this is a massive series for him. At number nine, I've gone with Adil Rashid, pretty self-explanatory. And then at 10 at 11, I've gone Sakeem Mahmood and Tamal Mills with my 12th man being David Payne. Okay. Okay, I mean, no, in fact, let me, I was about to say who looks like the strongest team on paper. But um, <laughs> gentlemen, there is actually, unbeknownst to the two of you, there is the inaugural award for the following um, item on the agenda. I'm about to ask both of you, and myself included, what we think the series score will be. And whoever gets it correct by the end of the five-match series wins the inaugural 
Caribbean County Cricket Podcast Trophy. So, <laughs> so, out of the five match test series, I'll go last. <laughs> Santoki. And that Santoki, we can't say with our heads or our hearts here. I mean, with our hearts there, we got to be realistic. <laughs> you know what? I was gonna I was gonna fully back West Indies with, with my heart until you said there's a prize on the line. So now I've got to be realistic. I'm gonna I'm gonna say realistically, like as much as we talk about dropouts from that England side, they've got so much experience and someone like someone like Adil Rashid could probably score more than the top order for West Indies at the moment. So um I think England are gonna win quite comfortably 4-1. Okay, 4-1. Aaron, I really wish you hadn't asked me about predictions. As people will know, <laughs> I've been doing some stuff for Flow Sports in the Caribbean for the IPL. And, you know, in the last year, I've only got two of my predictions, two out of eight. <laughs> <laughs> Both of the finals, fair enough. Oh, I'm terrible when it comes to predictions. And my predictions usually go wrong. So <laughs> for that reason, I'm thinking about the England fans out there. I'm not thinking about myself, okay? The trophy's a trophy. One of you two can have it. For the good of the England fans, I'm going 3-2 West Indies. Ooh. Mm. Look at Michelle taking notes, you know, taking yeah, it yeah. real serious. <laughs> There's a trophy on the line here. Um, it's actually harder than it, than it seems, to be honest. Um, well, it's a T20 series. That's the issue. If this was yeah. an ODI, I mean, I was about to say test. The tests are going to be interesting, mm. to say the least, given the, the two batting lineups at the moment. But in T20 cricket, like, who would have ever thought Australia would lift the yeah, trophy exactly. in 2021? You can exactly. never predict them. Generally speaking, in a T20 series, no matter how dreadfully either side plays, you always win at least one game. So, based on that, 3-2 England. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm going I'm going 3-2 England. So to clarify, people, Santoki has gone 4-1 England. Aaron has gone 3-2 West Indies. And I've gone 3-2 England. So you, you've got you got three people, England and West Indies fans, and no one's back in their own side <laughs> in the inaugural Caribbean County Cricket Podcast uh, trophy. But um, before we wrap up, people, and I just want to say thank you so much to Aaron Viles, account, uh, uh, the, the cricket connoisseur. But before we wrap up, let's, let's end with one last thing, because Santoki, you can't talk about a West Indies-England series of any format without particularly uh, with all due respect, England fans bringing in some nostalgia, right? Mm -hmm. And I'm going to bring in some nostalgia uh, for you two both for you two both to comment on. Um, and the only reason I'm bringing this up is because, of course, Aaron is a big Warwickshire fan. Santoki, we have so we have lots of Bayesian followers who keep saying to us, "Where is Carlos Brathwaite in our 2020 side?" Santoki. Carlos has actually had an all right 2021, you know. <laughs> he's, he's gone around the world, played well a bit in the hundreds, went to uh, Big Bash, I think it was the end of 2020, not so much 2021. Santoki, you know my thoughts, but Carlos Brathwaite, I think he's 33 now, uh, very much making him a name for himself as well as a bit of a media pundit over here in England as well. Had a good time of it with uh, Warwick, having a good time of it with Warwickshire as well. 
is it time to close the door on Carlos Brathwaite? Yes or no, Santoki? Yeah, I think it. I think it is. I think he's unlucky in that it's an area where West Indies have always had an abundance of finishers. So we've got at the moment, obviously Russell, Fabian Allen, Jason Holder. I don't think Carlos Brathwaite comes in ahead of any of those. Um, it's a tricky one because it's unusual that he hasn't been given a shot, even though we've been in transition throughout this period. He hasn't been given a chance in the side. But I think the fact he hasn't been able to make the side despite all the changes to the side and youngsters coming in and new faces coming in. Like we've had Shamar Brooks play at T20 and not Carlos Buffett, for instance. So I think with Cricket West Indies have closed the door on him, which is un- unfortunate but um for him. But I think his legacy will live on in uh, Remember the Name iconic final. And um, it's best to leave it there from, from my point of view. Aaron, you've had close-up with Carlos. Very much loved uh, by those uh, at Warwickshire. Um, very much loved within the English media as well. Loved in Barbados, but not by the West Indies selectors. Do you think we are missing something by not at least giving Carlos one last try? Potentially, but not in the way that people are thinking. Because when we think of Carlos Brathwaite, I think he's synonymous now, as Santoki's rightfully said, remember the name. We always remember that final over at Eden Gardens in 2016. Carlos Brathwaite in 2021 wasn't quite the same finisher, but he's improved a lot with the ball. And if you if you look at his stats in the Big Bash, he was the leading wicket taker in terms of overseas players for the Sydney Sixers. He took 20-odd wickets. In last year's T20 Blast for the Bears, not only, by the way, did he put together a magnificent innings at Trent Bridge and at Edgebaston against Worcestershire, he was also Warwickshire's leading T20 Blast wicket-taker. Carlos Brathwaite has changed his game. He's not necessarily the big power hitter who can take an odd wicket here and there. He's now the wicket-taker who can produce a big innings now and again. So if that's something that the West Indies are looking for, Maybe he's an option. The only problem, however, now, I think Jason Holder fulfills that niche. And if we're talking about 2022, through gritted teeth, and I love Carlos, and I'm so happy as our captain, and I can't wait to see him again, but the fortress, I would go with Jason Holder above him. Well, people, I have no opinion on it. (laughs) (laughs) That's the safe way, yeah. (laughs) But one thing we will always say, and synonymous with West Indies in England, of course, is remember the name. Ladies and gentlemen, I hope you've enjoyed that one. Um, We knew we'd have a blast recording um, with, with Aaron and chopping up the T20 series. It goes without saying, Aaron, that we want you to come back, um, particularly at the end of the series. And of course the test matches as well, um, where even if I speak with my heart, I'm still going to say West Indies to win. <laughs> with, with, sorry, my head, I'm still going to say West Indies to win that. But Santoki, any, any any last words as we wrap this one up? No, absolute pleasure to have um, Aaron Aaron back on the show. As always, dropping useful insight and valuable knowledge. And um, yeah, good luck to him. As of recording, he's staying up, soldiering through the final test in Hobart, England and Australia. So um, hopefully... He'll be sane enough to stick with the T20 series next week, this time next week. But yeah, pleasure to have him on. And we look forward to having him again later on, either at the end of these T20 matches or for the Test series, which isn't long away. And of course, Aaron, the final words to you. Well, first and foremost, gents, it's been an absolute pleasure. Always is. And for those out there who don't follow the Caribbean Cricket Podcast already, give them a follow. These two gents really are providing such a fantastic service 
for people not just in the Caribbean, but for people such as myself who just love the Caribbean as a region and the cricket, which is synonymous with the area itself. So it's been my pleasure, gents. It really has. Don't worry, I will be free. Fortunately, the ashes are coming to an end. My my vigil, my watch is coming to an end after a hard month, it has to be said. It's dragged at times. Honestly, watching England get skittled for less than 100 on a couple of occasions has not made for easy viewing at all. So the T20 series against the West Indies will provide some nice respite. Not sure about the Test Series after that. Um, again, we'll have to wait and see how England bat. But honestly, gents, just looking forward to it. And just one final thing as well. Under-19 World Cup, just wishing all of the sides out there the very best of luck. It's got the makings of a really interesting tournament. I know the West Indies as the hosts. We fancy in their chances. Australia have got a good side. India have got a good side. Sri Lanka, Bangladesh, England with uh, Barbados slash rugby's Jacob Bethel as vice-captain. <laughs> Had to get that in there. Come on, I'm a Warwickshire fan. But honestly, looking forward to seeing how that tournament progresses. And of course, the England boys wishing them all the best of luck. Fingers crossed we can bring that trophy home. Indeed, indeed. And uh, ladies and gents, as we as we bring this one to a close, just because Aaron mentioned the Ashes, for the long-suffering England fans, be glad, because when that Test Series happens it should all be over within two days for each <laughs> test match. So we look forward to that. But ladies and gents, this, uh, that's been a special the Caribbean Cricket Podcast in partnership with the cricketer and Aaron Viles from the County Cricket Podcast. Thank you and good night. Good night.